Sales Tuners, Episode 48, Justin Fight, Chief Sales Officer at Lessonly. One thing I preach all, we talk all the time about in our sales organizations, which is anchoring every capability that you talk about to some value that's delivering. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from George Carlin, who said most people work just hard enough not to get fired and get paid just enough money not to quit. I hope that if you're listening to this show, you don't characterize yourself with either of those tendencies. Joining me today is Justin Fight, Chief Sales Officer at Lessonly, a team learning software platform that helps streamline access to company knowledge, best practices, and team policies. Justin started his career as a software engineer for missile defense systems, but soon found his way into the front line of talking with customers and the wonderful world of sales. For more than 20 years, he's led teams at several well-known organizations like IBM, Exact Target, and Salesforce before deciding to transfer his knowledge to the startup scene. Before we dive in, I wanted to note that we are now at 55 ratings and reviews on iTunes. I can't thank you enough for that. Seriously, I really, really appreciate it. Outside of you stealing your friends' and coworkers' phones and downloading episodes, they really are the best way I've found to grow the audience for this show. I want to do another shout-out to five-star iTunes reviewer Singlis, who wrote, This podcast is great because of the variety of sales professionals Jim has on the show. Sales Tuners has an episode for everyone in the industry based on role, and the key takeaways Jim highlights help condense the content in a concise and impactful way. Keep the value coming. Singlist, thank you, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate it. Shoot me an email so I can get you the sales book of your choice. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I will give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 48. But now let's get to the conversation where Justin talks about risking his job security during his younger days doing stand-up comedy and making fun of the managers who hired him. Very early on, before I knew I could, I was risking my 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 job security by being <laughs> a clown. I entertained um, at uh, a lot of uh, corporate functions. Um, it was certainly before I, I started management, um, and I could take take uh, some risk and make fun of some of the managers of the companies that I was uh, that I was uh, being hosted by. But uh, yeah. It was it was a blast. It was it was a little nerve wracking being in front of hundreds of people, but once I got rolling making fun of people, it seemed to go go smoothly. Very similar to improv, I can see how that totally translates into sales skills. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. I want to know about how you even got into the world of sales. So take me way back. How did you make that transition? I started off as a software engineer, uh, software development. Which is really exciting. It was uh, some high tech stuff in the defense uh, contracting space, which was really, really interesting. But I, it wasn't a great fit, and I, I think everyone around me knew that I shouldn't be writing code for um, 
you know, missile systems. <laughs> so, so they quickly asked me to, instead of writing code, uh, get on the front end of this and start explaining to our customers what we were building and how we were building it. And that really switched me over to uh, just the very beginnings of talking about what we were building and why. Um, and, there, and it really became a fundamental of connecting capability and features to value. It's one thing I preach all, we talk all the time about in our sales organizations, which is anchoring every capability that you talk about to some value that's delivering. As I kind of read in the in the intro there, you've done a lot. You've worked with some, some of the biggest companies uh, in the world. Uh, but talk to me about today. Tell me what Lessonly is and how does someone decide to buy from you today? Lessonly is really an interesting story. I'd say as a sales leader, I with with a with a little bit of a longer career, I, I've trained I've, I've trained and enabled a lot of sales uh, professionals, and I look back on that now in, in light of what Lessonly can do, and I just cringe. And you know, one of the things I I look back on is I I could not tell you what people needed specifically or what they knew or didn't know specifically. And as a sales leader, I think if anybody's out there as a as a rep or or a manager. You know, one thing we're good at is optics, right? We know where someone's at as a rep. We know what their funnel looks like, their forecast. We understand deal velocity. We understand average deal uh, average deal uh, cycle time. We, we, we have a lot of optics into the process. If I look at the side of the equation as a manager now and say, I need to double my team and I need the productivity to go up, I quickly come to the realization that knowledge transfer is a key part of that. How can I look at that part of the business problem and not feel like I need to instrument that better? And I look back on, as I said, I look back on my own experience and I think about all the reps that I trained, but I had no idea what they had learned from it, uh, how they could put it into practice uh, and whether it had any impact. And that's exactly what Lessonly is fantastic about. It's a software platform that really supports the, the, the process of learning, practicing, and performing uh, to deal with the onslaught of knowledge transfer that occurs in kind of modern business. We're, we're, we're swimming in data, we're swimming in change, and that change has to translate into behavior at the rep level. How does a rep know new pricing? How does a rep understand new new in, uh, partnerships, um, integrations, new negotiation strategy, new competitive threats, all that has to be translated into actual behavior. How that actually, how that occurs is still very, very uh, uh, manual. Uh, people get in rooms, people share wikis, people share Google Docs, people do it in, do it with PowerPoint. It's just, it, it's a very antiquated approach to a kind of a modern problem, which is the pace at which people need to uh, need to need to acquire and, and integrate new information into their sales process. I want to start with just like onboarding. So I, I get it what you said, right? How do you get this knowledge transfer if you're wanting to scale up a team? But but how do you today onboard new reps? How are you giving them the tools of, you know that you just laid out? So pricing and product knowledge, uh, negotiation, like what are you doing? How are you facilitating that knowledge transfer when you're onboarding reps? We've taken our entire process, and this is what we do with our clients as well. Take the process, break it down into the, if it's, if it's let's take for instance onboarding, we break that, break that business process down into a constituent set of the knowledge necessary to accomplish that. 
the skills uh, of the consumer, let's just say the learner, in this case, the rep, uh, break down the skills and then create a matrix that essentially aligns the skills to the knowledge. And we package that up in, 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 our, in our parlance, we call them lessons, but they're really just small chunks of, of, uh, of knowledge that people need to acquire, whether that's a pricing strategy, whether that's a competitive kill points for a competitor. We create those lessons, we assign those lessons out to the reps, and we can literally uh, instrument their understanding of it. And so as our reps go through our onboarding process, they kind of are able to check off the learn phase, which is consume the information, the practice phase, which is literally practicing that, whether that's pitch recording or whether that's uh, demos, uh, you know, presentation walkthroughs. Uh, and we instrument that so we can watch the progression of reps going through that process to find ways to fine tune it, right? This isn't a, this isn't a, is an exact science. It's, there's always ways to improve. So we're constantly looking at, at areas of that onboarding process to say, where are we slow? Where is there friction? Where is, where, where is a group, you know, we put a cohort of five reps through, a, through an onboarding process, three of which struggle in one aspect or another, competitive, you know, understanding the competition. Then we know our, our material may be weak there. And so we go back and we refine only that part of it. And it really gives you great instrumentation. It's, it's very analogous to the, uh, the optics that sales management uses through CRM like Salesforce. Sure. Where are your reps struggling? And that's, that's the instrumentation. You know, part of this has been, I think of my tech stack as, you know, sales loft, Salesforce, these tools that I use, but, but our learning platform is in the sales tech stack, right? It is not in the HR talent, be an employee tech stack which sure. is where our HRIS is. And that's a real critical, real, real critical, but subtle departure from, I'd say, traditional approaches. Obviously, everything is moving to technology. Technology is eating the world. But are you removing the human element? So tell me more about that, because it seems like I got to I got to go sit in front of a computer now and just read these lessons in a, in a silo and, and not get to talk to anybody. Well, I think that's it, it really doesn't. What it does is it allows you to focus as a manager you know, with, with typical span of control, young companies, you have uh, your, your typical manager is eight to 12, maybe 14 direct reports. Where do they spend their time? If, if their goal is to optimize the performance of the team, where do they spend their time? And if you don't know where to spend your time, you do blanket training. Let's train everybody on, the, on competition, on negotiation. That's really less, less, less impactful than being able to say, a single rep is struggling to con, uh, to understand these aspects of our sales process or this bit of knowledge around w which is critical. So, it, so it, in fact, it 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 uh, it really supports a more purposeful a more purposeful uh, transfer of knowledge when the manager is, is working with the rep. They can focus on the areas that that rep needs the most help on. I think one of the things that I'm hearing you say, Justin, is you, you've replaced this notion where a lot of companies, they just say, hey, go sit with, with Joe because Joe's our best rep and just shadow everything he does and just figure out how to mimic everything he does and you'll be great. And you're taking that and saying, okay, here are the individual things that I need you as a person to work on. And as you get mastery in each of those, you're going to be individually better. And so that you don't have to, as you said, spread this blanket training out across the entire organization where you got people at all, all different skill levels. That's true. And I, I think there's still, there's still tons of value in collaborative, uh, you know, working together and, 
and, and reps learning from each other. I think there's, there's no way that you want to completely eliminate that. But in, in the modern world, uh, working with a customer in Canada who has, you know, several hundred reps, but they're distributed. So the interaction points are less obvious and, and more difficult to achieve. But I, I still think collaboration is a very valuable tool. It's just with the, with the amount of information that we're asking a rep to consume. Right. I don't think handing that to a third party HR person is the most efficient way. I think you have to lower the barrier, like the fidelity of the, uh, the lesson has to be low enough to where the manager, a manager can create it quickly and a, and a, and a learner, a rep can learn it, you know, can consume it in 10 to 15 minutes because mm-hmm. no one has four hours to do a four hour training session. It's like you, that time will never come where, a busy manager or a busy, busy rep can say, oh, I'm going to carve out four hours to go through 14 PowerPoints. Right. Right. Well, and, and it, yeah, it's just, we'll, we'll kind of move on for that, but it's just not efficient of anybody's time, right? The person who has to give it, nor the person who receives it, because by the time you're done, they're spaced out because they don't want to hear you talk anymore. Yep. So. Exactly. And, and, you know, one of the things you talked about earlier too, like this idea of putting together wikis, I know I've put together many a wikis at different companies that I've been uh, part of the sales team, whether leading it or being a rep. So, you know, it's, it's the idea of trying to bring that collaboration together, but, um, yeah, I, I'm liking this. So talk to me about, you know, your process today. How are you guys opening up new relationships, uh, and opportunities with prospects? Half of our sales team, we're not half, uh, about a third of our sales team is sales development, meaning they're reaching out to prospects, uh, that uh, are, are fit our profile. So one of the things that we did early on, I'd say after we got market fit, that's, that's one area, that's a, that's a historical story we get to later, but it's like I learned quickly that establishing market fit is one of the first things you have to do. Where, where do you add value? And once, once Lessonly was able to establish where we added value, we narrowed in on uh, the personas that uh, where we where we could have the most direct and overt impact, and that was sales and support teams uh, that had tremendous amounts of information to process. So they were in fast growth environments. Their environment, their uh, product lines were changing. Uh, their their ecosystems were changing. Uh, the number of reps were changing. So any any of those elements of dynamic um, of growth were were key to us. Uh, our pro- our prospecting involves, you know, making sure we're delivering good content. Really, the philosophy of Lessonly, which is, you know, go to a more modern approach for for uh, how your team is enabled and how they're learning. Um, once we get them in, you know, our process is to really try to understand where that source of pain is the greatest. Uh, sometimes, like we talked about earlier, it's onboarding. It's a very overt place to begin. Uh, it's a problem that all high growth or fast growing companies seem to seem to be dealing with we're certainly dealing with it and then ongoing training is the same uh which is that the landscape is never the same for very long anymore right people the reps have to reinvent themselves the way they message uh to who they message to and what they message uh that those are all shifting and so uh we're trying to uh build a process that helps to focus on what I've referred to as business mechanics, you know, deal mechanics are, do they have budget? Do they have authority? What's their sense of urgency? I, I tend to think I, I delay that and focus more on the business mechanics, which I, I think of them as interleaved, inner, 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 uh, connected, interwoven gears, you know, a business gear and a, and a deal gear. The deal gear will never turn unless the business gear turns and the business gear, the business mechanics are, 
what is wrong, who is responsible for fixing that, and when do they need to fix it. So, you know, it's no, it's not, it's not rocket science, and many people have focused on where the pain is the greatest, and getting, getting, you know, getting our team to be better at uh, having that dialogue to be able to focus on those areas with the prospect. I want to dive into those business mechanics because I mean that to me is the the crucial part of of the sales process. But how do you how how are you guys uncovering that real pain? Because I guess what what I'm asking is it seems as though while I totally I think I get what you guys are doing, it could be seen as a as a nice to have. It's like well we we've already got process through that. I, I yeah I could use your system, but we're already delivering it well. How are you actually getting to the real pain and opening up that opportunity? I think that comes from digging a little bit deeper into you know key areas of uh, of of a sales process, right? We're uh, I'll give you a good example. Um, you know, we uh, we look at funding events. We'll look at a prospect and say, hey, they just got ten million of funding. And I think early on, um, we were looking at that as a positive event, right? Hey, you know, let's celebrate. You got ten million of funding. You you can now solve problems. My take on that as a sales leader is that is not a, the, the best moment for, for getting funding is the day before you get it. Yeah, I totally agree. Right? And it's the day after that that management team has to look at their team and say, hey, all the hard work we put in, now we've got to make them more productive and we've got to double our team. Yep. It's like, what have I been doing for the last 18 months? I've been working my butt off to get you to this point and now we just got to that next level and now I got to start over again and I got to get more productivity out of the same people. I got to bring more people in and make them more productive. That is a sobering moment that for every sales manager who's gone through that, that is a very sober moment. And I think that getting in touch with that and talking to leaders who realize that it's like, this is a big, that's a, that's a major amount of pressure on an organization. And uh, you know, the farther you, away you get from that first line of management, the farther away you get from the reality, which is it's hard as hell to double your team and increase productivity across the board consistently. I love the fact that you said that. And this show is not about fundraising, but I just want to make a note on that. Like I see all the time when a company announces that they've just raised the amount of money, everyone starts congratulating them. And like you said, slapping each other in the back. The reality is that company just sold a large portion of their company for however much money they signed up for debt, essentially. Right. Yep. And so it's not a necessarily a good time. All the work they'd done prior to led to them to be able to raise that money. But still, now, as you said, they've signed up for even more work oh, yeah. and a significantly amount of more work. So I'm really glad that you hit on that. But I do want to talk about now this consistent, repeatable uh, success that you have to have at scale, especially with these new technologies that are getting funded. How are you able to balance those ups and downs and, and, and kind of keep, a, you know, keep that steady pressure, if you will, onto, on your team? the head of our finance is really, you know, tied into our operations. And I think he's done an excellent job of helping our, the, our management team and our, and our reps as well, understand where they are. Like, where are we really like, you know, the typical mathematics model, the SAS model of, um, you know, what your close rate, what your, what your win rate is, what your average deal is, how many deals do you need? How many opportunities will it take? And how many leads lead to those many opportunities? It's like backing that funnel up and making sure that, we understand what those goals are can then have us as managers and leaders turn around and begin to work the problem. And I think taking it more long-term and, you know, one of the things I've been really harping on with my team is hiring, hiring, right. And in a, in a growth company, 
uh, there's a hiring plan. We have to hire, you know, X reps per quarter going into the future. And getting behind on that is is death. It's like you can't recover from that. And I made sure my management team realized that we have to get the people in so we can get them started on their ramp. That's why, you know, starting a ramp early or getting a ramp time to be shorter uh, is incredibly powerful. Having that be variable or, you know, go for a year when you modeled out that it's only going to take six months kills, kills it because all that does is shift revenue responsibility elsewhere in the org. Someone else has to carry that number because the, the number at the top isn't changing. So falling behind in hiring, falling behind or not, not increasing. If you, if you model to have a ramp time that's six months and you can beat it by a month, that's dramatic impact. Right. We're all talking about recognized, you know, um, uh, annual recurring revenue and MRR, monthly recurring revenue. It's like that makes a difference across a an organization of, let's say, 15, 20 or better has dramatic impact. And I think it's the steady focus on just a small number of, of elements that seems to um, seems to do well. I learned that from uh, a good friend of mine who now works at Salesforce, just having a hiring hiring forecast call. Like every manager had to get on that forecast call and say, what are you doing to make your hires? Hmm. And that was, that was just as painful as our sales forecast calls. And as a result, we stayed up with hiring. So I learned that lesson. I learned that lesson well. And uh, that's one of the areas to keep a steady pressure on. I think the other is development is how are we improving every rep? And that's not some dramatic, we're gonna spend a week and make everybody smarter. This is every month we are working on a topic that rolls through the organization, right? We plan it out you know, several months in advance and um, we work on those, those topics, whether it's handling a first call, whether it's objection handling, it's just like we, we theme those and we figure out from our material using Lessonly as the, as the kind of platform, where, how do we support that? How are we teaching these people what to do? We've got a cohort of five new reps coming in on board. They're beginning at the beginning, you know, at the, at the start, the reps that have been here a while, what are we doing to help them? You've said to me before, Justin, that, you know, as a manager, your success is not really in your hands. It's in, it's in your team's hands. Can you, can you expand upon that a little bit? I realized early on as I became a manager that no manager uh, is successful for very long if they don't create a great culture of that that's very people focused. And I don't mean just free soda, free drinks, you know, free food. I mean, you are genuinely concerned about the reps and their success. And sometimes that success means they need to go elsewhere. Sometimes that means they need a different role. Sometimes they, they need to be managed in different ways. But the reality is I can never, I will never be able to make my goal if the teams, my teams aren't at the individual level figuring out how to make their goal. And so, I mean, ironically, I'm in a training, you know, kind of a training learning uh, company now, but it's literally, it's got to be at least half of every manager's job. Uh, you know, we, we're either looking at sales, we're li- either looking at Salesforce and, and spreadsheets or we're training. So it's a big, big piece of the job. And, and, and it has to be because people need the help. They need the guidance. They need the, fo- the help focusing. And if the company is to be successful, if the team's to be successful, then those individuals have to find a way to get to their goal. And you can't do the work for them. 
What would you say to a rep that's out there listening right now who doesn't have a system like Lessonly and they don't have a VP of sales who really focuses on that training aspect, but they're, they're hungry and they're, they're eager to learn, but they're just not getting it. Like, what would you say to, to them? How can they improve? I'd say first, you know, make it, make it an issue within the company that you're a part of. I mean, um, modern companies are, are recognizing that we're not the only company that has a great culture that's focused on learning and helping their reps. There's, there's plenty of companies that are realizing that. I, I think bring it to the attention. I would bet that most management uh, teams are well-meaning. They just don't realize how important it is. And I think to some degree, reps need to be more vocal. I don't mean complaining all the time, but I mean expressing and helping solve the problems. Uh, I'm, I'm always one to, to welcome the feedback, which is if we're doing something stupid, somebody better raise their hand and say this is stupid, right? Because it's easy to do it, so um, or easy to easy to make mistakes like that. So um, I'm all for the feedback. So I'd say that's one thing. I I think the other is, um, you know, companies with with great cultures they realize that it's just a defining. It's it's a it's a such a distinguishing characteristic because. You can't believe that you know how hard people will work if they feel like they're doing it for the benefit of the culture and they're part of the team. Um, the the level of effort I've seen from people at this company, but other great companies that I've had the opportunity to work for, it's it's astonishing what they're willing to do um, for the benefit of the company. And and I think the company just has to create the environment to make that possible. That distinguishment that you're talking about is something that I completely agree with. I think, you know, I spend my day as a coach and and one of the things when when I'm working with companies who don't necessarily have the culture that you're talking about is I become almost like the safe the safe consultant to the individual reps because the last thing they're going to do is go tell their boss, hey, you know what? I'm really having trouble getting past the gatekeeper or when I hear about this competitor, I'm really having a tough time doing it because what they often hear is, well, well, here you go, Mr. Sales Rep, either figure it out or I'll find somebody who can. And so now they'll come to me and be like, hey, you're my safety net. Like, how can you help me with this so that I don't have to go ask my boss that? So that distinguishment, I think, is really big. Yeah, I agree. It's um, it's it's uh, what made me choose Lessonly is uh, culture first. Justin, uh, we're going to take a quick break so I can thank my sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales tuners, I want to tell you about Costello a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, Head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Justin, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready. Hit me. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Uh, I'd say it's focusing on... um, uh, the highest possible leverage task that uh, that, that uh, I can find in a in a particular role that I'm in, um, creating the balance that uh, that keeps me steady uh, throughout uh, over time, and then realizing that I, I really depend on my team to uh, be successful, and uh, I'm I'm here to make them successful just as much as they are to help me. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next thirty days doing? 
I would have prepared more early on. I think I did wing it uh, early on. I would say that was kind of a character trait. Uh, and and I would have spent more time preparing for the calls that I had. I, I think I... I didn't realize how tough it is sometimes to get those, get in front of those opportunities. Um, so I would have I would have told myself be more prepared. Two part question for you here: Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. I definitely love to win. It's just a little bit of competitiveness there that um, that I seem to just can't can't shake. Justin, what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? You know, there's a couple of business books that come to mind, like Challenger Sale. I think they're just great nuggets in there um, that I, I've referred to many times over the over the years. Uh, I'd say the other, which is a little bit offbeat, is Boys in the Boat. It's not really a business book, but I think that is a business book. It's a wonderful book about the uh, University of Washington crew team and the nature of a team, even though that's not the intent of the book. It's really just a, a kind of a fictional narrative. I mean, a, a nonfiction narrative. It's wonderful if you want to talk about individual performers versus team performance. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Justin's suggestion of The Boys in the Boat for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Justin, what's something you believe that nearly no one agrees with you on? In the sales world, I believe that it all it all works out for the, the the right reasons. Like I just have faith that that whatever is happening is happening for the exact right reasons, and that that's hard to stomach sometimes when things are going wrong, um, when things are tough, when when people miss numbers, when you know the team's struggling. But I always try to look at that and think this is happening. The the, the reason this is happening, and, and not fight reality. Look at that and say, embrace it as much as possible and say, okay, what do we do from here? It's a good position to fight from. Let's fight from here. What's the biggest piece of advice, Justin, that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? It is grind. I think, you know, the examples I've seen, I've seen, I've seen uh, reps with, I'd say, average, average skill uh, be wildly successful because they're just willing to put in the time. I, I do think it's a law of the farm kind of, uh, kind of job where uh, you have to put in consistent time over time and uh, in, in all constantly working on where you focus, uh, what, what high leverage tasks you're doing. But it comes down to just grinding and, like you said, through the through the um, uh, just over and over and over again and uh, and just steady pressure uh, all the way through. I'll get you out of here on this one, Justin. How could someone find you or connect with you after the show if they wanted to? Uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a great place. I'm pretty uh, pretty diligent about trying to stay up on that. Justin, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining me today. You bet, Jim. Thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun. It was great to hear that even when we have all the science and data backing us up, it sometimes still is the gut that makes it all make sense. I want to get to my top takeaways. Number one, remove general blanket training. If you don't know where to spend your time, you'll fall into the trap of generalized training where every person on the team gets the same negotiation training or competitive update. Instead, in modern sales organizations, the fidelity of lessons needs to be able to be created quickly by anyone and enable reps to consume it in 10 to 15 minutes. Because let's be honest, none of us have four hours to stare at PowerPoints. Number two, focus on business mechanics. Justin broke the sales process down into a gear analogy, stating that the deal mechanics gear simply can't turn 
unless the business mechanics gear is already in motion. Focus on determining what is actually wrong, who in the prospect's organization is truly responsible for fixing it, as well as when they actually needed to have it fixed. Number three, anchor capabilities to value. If you've been in sales for more than 10 minutes, you've probably been told to sell the solution, not your features and benefits. Yet every single day, I hear reps explaining how a prospect can accomplish a task simply by clicking a couple of buttons. Stop it. There's a reason you've never received a demo of Amazon.com. You're not there to learn how to click buttons. You're there to ensure a package arrives at your house in two days or less. And the same is true for your prospects. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I receive. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. Do you remember the early 90s tombstone pizza commercials? What do you want on your tombstone?